It's good to see the words up on the screen, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. Well, it's great to have you all here this evening, and uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Sometimes we miss the radical nature of what we're just about to sing. The statement that Jesus is Lord would have given you a death sentence in Rome for those early Christians. And in many countries in this world, Jesus is Lord is a completely alien concept. And it's great to think of the Christians who are devoted to Jesus to go out to very difficult circumstances, to very remote places, to tell the people about Jesus as Lord. Our charity this month that we're supporting and particularly focusing on is the Mission Aviation Fellowship. They're the people who allow the missions, missionaries to get to those remote tribes. They're the people who transport the sick people who would otherwise be dying. So it's a great work. There's more information on the board in the foyer. Do um, have a look at it and think about supporting them. But perhaps the most important and relevant thing is not whether Christians in ancient Rome would have died for saying Jesus is Lord. It's whether we, as we sit here tonight, say Jesus is my boss. Jesus rules. So let's stand and worship.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so glad that we are allowed to talk to the God who made heaven and earth, the, Lord, the, the one who knows everything, the one who rules over every single incident in every single part of this great universe. And we know that your word tells us that you know every detail of our individual lives. You know the number of hairs that we have on our head. You know our anxious thoughts, but you also know our wicked deeds. So we're very conscious that we have no right to come to the God who is pure and holy apart from that Jesus paid the price for each and every one of each and every one of your children's sins. And that if we turn to you and trust you that everyone here and everyone watching and everyone in this world can come to be accepted by the King of the universe, to be welcomed into your family, to be adopted and to know you, not just as our Lord, but as our Father in heaven. Oh, we pray you'll help us to pray to you. We pray that you'll enable us to worship you in a right way. Oh Lord, we ask that you will give us that appreciation of what you've done for each of, you, each of us who know you, to make us want to be the people who share your good news with others. Oh Lord, we thank you for those who are doing that. We thank you for the opportunities that we have. We thank you that we look forward to first steps starting up again after the Christmas break. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll be working in that group. We thank you that we've had Rooted in Sunday School already today. And Lord, we, we beg that your word will be producing good fruit there. And Lord, we ask that in our lives, we will be people who want to be spreaders of the good news. Oh Lord, we thank you that we know people and we know of people who have taken your good news much further away. Lord, we pray for Rosie in Papua New Guinea. Oh Lord, we ask that you will help her as she aims to bring your truth to those people as she aims to work with the local Christians. Oh Lord, we do pray that there will be a reviving in that country and that the young people in in particular will hear your voice again. Oh Lord, as their grandparents, possibly great-grandparents, were, were saved from cannibalism, oh Lord, we pray that as the good news of Jesus goes down the generations, oh Lord, that it won't be lost, that there won't be lost generations, that people won't be in darkness, but will hear your glorious light. 
And Lord, we beg that you will work in that country. And we pray that as the MAF work with so many missionaries and make their, the, the, the good work possible, Lord, we pray that you'll encourage them, that you'll help them as they face many risks in their small planes in difficult circumstances to recognise that they are serving a great and a good God. Oh Lord, you, you know us. You know what's been going on. You know what's been going on over the last couple of years with COVID. Lord, you know how that should have taught us that we are not in control. It should have humbled us before you. And yet, that doesn't seem to be happening in our country. It doesn't seem that we are more open to your voice. Oh, have mercy, Lord, we pray. We pray that you will have mercy on our land, that you will keep us from going in bad paths, that truth will be valued, that compassion will be known, And that your good news, that there will be nothing put in the way of your good news. And we pray for your people. We pray for your church. We pray that you will revive us. We ask that you will give us more of a sense of the wonder that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And so we love those that we meet, I want them to know that that joy of knowing salvation, acceptance, forgiveness with the great God, and that certainty that when they meet him, they will be ready. When they see the glory of God, it will not be terrifying. Oh Lord, we, we know that our poor minds can't can't cope with understanding you. We can't grasp how wonderful you are. And as troubles come, we so often flounder around. Oh Lord, you know the troubles that many people have faced in this last week. Oh Lord, we pray that you will comfort. We pray that you will bring peace. And we ask, Lord, that the enemy will be kept well away. Oh, we thank you that your kingdom is glorious. We thank you that one day every knee will bow before you. Oh, give us that confidence in you. Help us to trust you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. And as we come to your word later... We pray that you will help us to hear your voice. We ask that you'll give John energy, that there will be a sense of your power speaking through your word as he brings that to us. And Lord, we pray that you will give us alert minds and hearts that want to do what you tell us to. Even if that means changing things that we really quite enjoy. 
Oh Lord, forgive our sins, we pray. Because of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So, our, our next song is going to be We Are One in Mission. We're all in this one call to serve Jesus. Then after that, Paul is going to come and read the Bible passage for today. The reading this evening is taken from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and we're beginning at chapter 12, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, and we're reading to the end of the letter. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I'll not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not bound to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? 
Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practised. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For you also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you'll find that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things, while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up, and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you, Paul. After our next hymn, John is going to be explaining that passage to us. But now, uh, let's uh, stand and sing. Go labour on, spend and be spent. Your joy to do the Father's will. And it is a real joy when we know that what we're doing is what God wants and that he's working through us. So let's stand and worship.
And finally, and finally, we come to our last message on this letter of 2 Corinthians. Um, probably Paul's most uh, personal, uh, most vulnerable, and perhaps most moving of all his letters. Uh, we've learnt, I think, a lot of um, different and a lot of deep lessons en route as we've gone through 2 Corinthians in the evenings over the months. I wonder if you've got any recollections of 2 Corinthians. It's hard when it's quite a few weeks ago. I was having a look at the 13 titles of the messages so far. I'll read them out. I won't expect you to remember them. We're not going to line up 13 people like this morning to come up with the different things. But 2 Corinthians, perhaps as I read the titles, some of the uh, teaching of the letter might come back to you. Help in hard times. Clearing roadblocks. Confident in our message. Pearls, pots and power. Heading home. Motivated messengers. Going forward in holiness. Real change at Corinth. Overflowing generosity. Cheerful giving. Handling criticism, disguise and deception. And then last week, that maybe does stay in the mind, perhaps, weakness. Well, last time I mentioned my pathetic start to public speaking. Um, In fact, as I recollect now, there was an occasion before that I'd overlooked Uh, We did a class assembly in year seven at school. Uh, Not being very good at acting, I was given an exceedingly small part. Um, I was a barman and I had three words to say in the whole of the assembly, which was, last orders, please. That was my lines. Last orders, please. Well, in a way, that's what we have here. We have Paul's last orders. His parting instructions, his final concerns before he signs off the letter of 2 Corinthians. And there is a lot to lotus and there is a lot to learn. And there's much more than we can grasp in just one time this evening. So we're just going to have to pick out some of the main things of this evening's passage. Paul is coming to them soon. He reminds them of that at the start of our passage, so 12, 14. I think you you will find it helpful if you've got a Bible to have it open because we will be dipping in here and there and you'll be able to to sort of anchor it into, into the letter itself. So he reminds them that he's coming soon at um, the start of our passage, 12, 14. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you. He reminds them of that at the start of chapter 13. This is the third time I am coming to you. The first visit is when he took the gospel. The second visit he had to Corinth was a a painful visit. And now he's looking to come the third time. 
and he wants them to get ready for his visit. And his letter is about getting ready for the visit. And as he goes through some of these final words for them to get ready, he seems to have, for quite a lot of it, in mind those who were being influenced by the opposers at Corinth. You remember we have come across those through our series. So we have his parting concerns, his last orders, the and finally. And as we look at this passage, and as we think about how it should have impacted them, I think we'll also get a key for how it should impact us. And as I looked through the passage this week and thought about it and prayed over it, um, it seemed to me that this could be summarised in four, four ways it should impact them. Four ways they should react to what he says here in his parting instructions in the way he wants them to get ready before he comes. Here's the first. Appreciate genuine leaders. Appreciate or recognise or value or follow genuine leaders. That's one of his messages, that's what he wants them to take home, that's what he wants them to think through. Now, one of the big concerns, isn't it, of parents is to get their children to recognise who will be a good influence on them and who will not be. So, yes, cool dude David may be the most sought of a friend in the class. He may set the fashions. He may be the one that everyone aims to please. But is his influence good? Or yes, Big Laugh Lucy might be endless fun. She might have lots of stories about the troubles that she gets into. But is she the best influence on your values? And Paul here opens his heart about his approach, his motives and his aims and he shows that his co-workers and himself should be trusted rather than, if you like, the cool dude Davids and the big laugh Lucys who are menacing things at Corinth. And he shows this in this passage by a number of things and these are really rich but we're just going to sort of have to dip into them and out, but uh, maybe you might want to think and pray through them afterwards. He shows um, he shows uh, his approach in a number of ways. Here's first. He shows his approach, a trusted approach, a genuine worker, as somebody of parental love. Now, good parents often, don't you, you give without getting back. Sometimes you love without being loved. It's not very easy, but you do that as a parent. And Paul was like that in his service of others. And it might often be like that for us in our service of others. Here we're in verses 14 and 15. So unless I've specified, this is chapter 12. 14 and 15, here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, we've heard that, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you, or your good. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. 
and this, this is what our last hymn was based on, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So you see his parental heart for them, willing to sort of depart for th- with things for their good, willing to spend and be spent, willing to love them, even if the love is not returned. Uh, and that is uh, a mark of a, a genuine leader, which should be appreciated. It's a, it's a model for our service. It's a, a good description of those we want to have influence in us. Parental, giving, sacrificial love, passing on. Uh, Another thing that comes out in what he says as he explains their approach is a refusal to exploit. So he was not in it for himself. He did not burden them with his own needs. And Titus was of the same ilk as well. Tells us about this in verses 17 and 18. Did I take advantage of you? Through any of those whom I sent to you, I urged Titus Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? There used to be a phrase, I don't think it's quite so common now, but fleecing the sheep. So the shepherd who's in it just to get stuff out of it. And Paul certainly wasn't like that in his leadership and his care and service of the Corinthians. He wasn't only in it for what he could get out of it. He genuinely loved them and wanted their good. He was very reserved at having anything back. A refusal to take advantage, a refusal to exploit. That's a genuine leader. That's somebody to value, appreciate, look up to, follow, if that's your case. We also see, as we go through these verses, um, his desire for their good. His desire for their good. He, He can say, genuinely, before God, in God's sight, that he wants their upbuilding. He wants them to grow. He's looking to be constructive, 12 verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. See, he desires their good. In the next chapter, in verse 10, it comes up again at the end, talks about the authority the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. He wants their restoration. He wants things to be repaired. He's not enjoying their failings. 13 verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. And that sort of influence, leader, follower, is is a good one. It's a good one to be. It's a good one to have influencing you. And there's another one that comes through. Attachment to the truth. Attachment to truth or a commitment to truth. Verse 
verse 13, chapter 13 and verse 8. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. So he was bound in his mind and his outlook by what is true and what is true from God and what is in God's word. That was what his concern was to pass on to them. Reminded me of, of Martin Luther. You've heard perhaps of Martin Luther. It was in the time of the Reformation and it was in the Diet of Worms in 1521 where he had to make a, a clear stand against the, the teaching of the church of that stage and he comes to the point at the, 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 the diet, the diet of worms. It sounds really strange, doesn't it? It means the assembly at worms, the place. And he says this, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, so help me God. And elsewhere it's quoted that what he said is, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God, amen. You see, he was committed to truth. And that's a great thing for somebody who is a leader. So don't you think these are quite good and searching um, descriptions of what Paul was like and what they should have recognised and appreciated and valued. They're worth thinking about, they're worth praying through. Searching and challenging. I came across another um, challenging and searching piece. Um, it was in this book, but it's quoting a another older work by Richard Baxter, who was a, a Puritan and uh, wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. And let me quote from that, which is very much in line with our passage. I'm just going to update a few words as we go through, just to make it easier for you. He said this, 1656, The whole of our ministry must be carried on in tender love to our people, We must let them see that nothing pleases us but what profits them and that what does them good does us good and that nothing troubles us more than their hurt. We must feel toward our people as a father toward his children. Yes, the tenderest love of a mother must not surpass ours. We must even travail in birth till Christ is formed in them. Later on, oh, therefore... See that you feel a tender love to your people in your hearts and let them perceive it in your speeches and see it in your conduct. Let them see that you spend and are spent for their sakes and that all you do is for them and not for any private ends of your own. Well, I don't know if you could follow that all through. It's not always easy as it would be chunks. But if you could, I think you'll find that it's thought-provoking stuff. It's a high standard. I certainly couldn't say I've lived up to, to, to that standard fully, perfectly, purely. But this is the sort of 
leadership which Paul the Apostle gave as they followed the example of Christ. And it is the sort of leadership we should aspire to. So, is that the sort of person you're aiming to be in your influence? In your leadership? In your service of others? In the sphere that God has given you? Is that the sort of person you're being influenced by? It's not a call to David. It's not a big laugh, Lucy. But it's somebody along the lines of those four characteristics. Appreciate genuine leaders. What else is in his last orders? I think the next two we find slightly different from what we've come across so far. Uh, But his final concerns would lead us in this direction. To fear bad behaviour. To fear bad behaviour. So although uh, Paul is so good-hearted towards them, he has some very real fears And I think he also, if I can put it like this, he wants them also to be scared by the thoughts. That's why he's writing it this way. He's shown his fears, but he wants them, I think, to to be frightened of these thoughts. And he tells us what those fears are. In verse 20, we get some. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I might find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. And he carries on with his fears in the next verse, verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. He fears it will be a shambles. He fears there will be a spiritual shambles at Corinth. Now you say, well, strong Christians don't have fears. They're full of confidence. Paul has fears here. He has concerns. He knows, he knows human weakness. He knows there is an active enemy. So he has big concerns and he wants them as well to be frightened of such a situation. He tells them that as an apostle, he will have to deal firmly with it. If that's the case. So Christian leaders, they should be humble, they should be loving, but there are times where people in responsibility need to be firm and they need to be straight about what's at stake. And so he warns those who are involved, chapter 13 now and verse 2, I warned those who sinned before and all the others and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit. And if I come again, I will not spare them. The weakness of Christ is accompanied by resurrection power. And so weak ministers still have a a sense of power and authority from Christ when they influence others. 
He doesn't want to be severe. Verse 10 of 13. For this reason I write these things that while I'm away from you, that when I come, this third visit, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So for us as well, as we benefit from God's word this evening, thinking through what's taught here, we, we should also be rightly frightened of this sort of situation. We should fear bad behaviour. We should be concerned about it. We should be concerned about a situation like verse 20 where there is quarrelling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. We should be frightened of that thought. We should be frightened of the sort of thought and situation that was in verse 21 when he thought that there might be those who have not repented of impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they've been practising. So, uh, a question for us, or, or, or some questions along this line then is, have standards greatly dropped in your own personal conduct? And in the way in which you treat others? Is it time to be a bit startled as we read this letter and think about it? Have you become a bit blasé about how Christians around you are conducting themselves? Not really bothered that Christians that you're linked with are at loggerheads and full of infighting? It's just the way it is. That Christians around have no sense and desire for purity? Well, if that's the case, And maybe we really need to hear Paul's passing concerns, fear, bad behaviour, think it through, dread it, pray against it, get rid of it. Last orders. Appreciate genuine leaders drinking their teaching, their influence, their truth. Fear, bad behaviour. And then there's another one which is is quite different again. Check your standing. Check your own standing. We're into chapter 13 now and we've got to verse 5 and it's abrupt and it's strong and it's ironic and it's necessary. Verse 5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you will fail to meet the test? Perhaps you like to examine things or inspect things. You get the chance to mark somebody else's test in the classroom. It's quite nice being the inspector, the marker, the examiner. You're at the end of some sort of form of production line and you're testing to see whether it works or not and what the quality is like. 
You go into public toilets sometimes and there are these sign sheets that somebody's been in there to inspect them every hour and they've put their initials up. And sometimes you go in a loo and wish that somebody was inspecting them and that the standards were a bit better. We inspect, we examine in life. And the people influencing those at Corinth, well, it seems as though they like to do their inspection. It's as if they were putting Paul in the test tube. They were measuring him against a measuring rod. They were looking down, they were examining Paul. And Paul here turns the tables on them. It's quite dramatic in verse 5. Examine yourselves. You be inspected. Look at yourselves, not me. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Check your standing, examine yourselves. Now I have, I have some reservation in pressing this home tonight. I'll tell you why. So some have very tender consciences. Desperately worried that perhaps they're not true Christians. Some are very tentative in their assurance and they get unnecessarily disturbed. And there are some, especially in places like ours, where people have had a background where there's been an excessive and damaging influence to too much get people to examine themselves and and it's left some scars. And if you're in one of those groups, you know, in a way I want you to turn the volume down a little bit on this point because I don't want to be the cause of you being unnecessarily, excessively concerned, to have your insurance thrown when it doesn't need to be. But with that caveat, I have to say, this is where we are in God's word this evening, and I want to apply it. And so I ask, do you need to do this? Do you need to examine yourself whether you are in the faith? Do you need to think seriously about whether you're a true Christian or not? Are you in the faith? Do you have a real trust in Christ? Can you say in your heart, Jesus is Lord? I mean it. Can you say in your heart, Jesus is my Saviour? And mean it. Has Paul's gospel that he's taught through two Corinthians, is it, is it something that's in you? Are you being changed by Christ? Um, yes, it's slow and there are ups and downs and you grieve at your lack of progress sometimes, but is Christ in you? Are you in the faith? It's a big question. Maybe you're very upfront with your opinions about others. You go to a place of worship and, and maybe you, you say, well, this is no good and that should be better and it's all a bit hopeless. Perhaps you go away putting everything right. You, you inspect what is happening here, but Paul's question here will turn it on you. What about you? Inspect yourself. Are you in the faith? Is Christ in you? Are you a real believer? Have you turned to Christ? 
Sometimes people can be full of opinions. I remember many years ago now, somebody who had lots of opinions about what was going wrong in a church, and they had lots of criticisms. And then we find out a month or two later that he leaves his wife and goes off with another woman. You've got opinions. Are you, are you in the faith? It's highly possible that people come to a place of worship like this, the right place, but are wrong with God. And maybe this question this evening just shakes you out of your sort of fact that you've never really thought about it. Examine yourself. Check your standing. Inspect yourself. Are you in the faith? Jesus was not averse to getting people thinking along these lines. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount ends, or nearly ends, towards the end of it? Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Paul doesn't do it harshly. He loves them. He wants them to be right. It's in that spirit I want to be saying these things this evening. He says at the end of verse 7, but that you may do what is right. But I challenge you with that this evening. Can you say, despite the fact that your heart does go up and down, uh, that you feel a bit wobbly, there's imperfections, can you say, Jesus is my Lord? And despite some confusion and the fact that you don't feel things to the extent that you'd like to, can you say, Jesus is my Saviour? Examine yourself. Check your standing. That is what he wants them to do before he comes. So we come then to the final parting words, a fourth concern. And I think in some ways the lens zooms back out for this. I think it's less focused on the disagreeers and it's more focused on the situation as a whole and in a way it's sort of moving forward as he hopes the situation will be moving forward. We look at, if you like, the finally within the and finally. We're now in verse 11 of the last chapter. And the summary can be this, go forward together, go forward together. Now you may be wondering where does this picture fit in, and maybe you can't understand what the picture is anyway. It's quite difficult to get images off Google or whatever to do with and finally and final words, a picture that makes sense. So I was struggling a bit on this, so I looked for a picture on sort of going forward together. And you've got this, I think it's quite a nice picture of all these ski boots together. That You've got a, a group of people all showing that they're together. They're, they're, they're in a circle together. And that's what he wants as he charges them with this last set of final instructions. He's speaking warmly. 
He's speaking to them as brothers and sisters, and he wants five things for them in this last uh, uh, sort of passing word in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And I think making sense of the situation here, he envisages them back together as a fellowship. The drifters back in. The backsliders now going on. And with this in view, he wants them to go forward in these ways. He wants them all to be rejoicing in the gospel, what they have together in Christ. He wants the majority to aim for restoration, to seek the good of the drifters and the wobbly people. He wants them to aim to bring them back in. When that happens, as they're returning, he wants them to comfort them and to make sure they feel included and to be encouraged on their way. Despite the divisions that there has been and there have been in the past, he wants them to agree with one another. And as they go forward, he wants them to live in peace. Wants them to be greeting one another. Wants them to be warmly showing affection to one another. He talks about a holy kiss. That was their culture. It's not our culture. We used to be able to say a hearty handshake. Well, that's not our culture now. Perhaps there's a a warm elbow bash. But it is really being pleased to see one another genuinely loving one another and enjoying one another's company, agreeing together, going forward in peace. Well, I don't know which church, well, I do know which church most of you are linked with, but perhaps people here looking on from different churches, whatever the churches you're most linked with, this will be a great way forward, wasn't it? Won't it be? These are the concerns for Forest Fold as we go forward. To rejoice together, to aim for restoration, to comfort one another, to agree with one another, to live in peace. What will help to achieve this? Well, so much of what's helped to achieve this is tucked away in his final prayer, the last verse of the letter. You perhaps know this. You wondered where it was in the Bible. Now you do know where it is in the Bible. It's the end of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all a Trinitarian benediction, a rich closing prayer where this is known and worked through how much of those five things will be prominent. So let me end with it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, we've had a lot, haven't we? It was packed and there was more that felt as though it should have been packed in, but that was enough, I thought.
But we do this sometimes. Before our last hymn, which is a good and and relevant last hymn, just going to give a a minute or so for you to pick out a a line of thought from the passage we've looked at that you especially want to pray over at the end of this message. Well, we're going to have our closing hymn and then I think you can probably guess what my closing prayer will be afterwards. And our last hymn follows on nicely from some of the things we've been thinking of. Lord of the Church, we pray for our renewing Christ over all our undivided aim. Let's sing our last song.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.